Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Hey, I haven't seen some of y'all since Christmas. Yeah. Some of you I haven't seen since Easter. Yeah, I know. It's cool. You came to church this one time since last year. The sky didn't fall and the roof didn't cave in. All those stories you thought were true aren't. You, it's, it's okay to come on to church. Okay, how many, let's take a quick poll. How many of you came today to make your mom happy? Thank you for your honesty. How many of you should have answered yes, but you were afraid to because mom's here? Oh, you got it. Okay, very good. Well, church is just for you today. We're going to call you out by name and let you stand up and quote Bible verses, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah. So we're, we're, going to, we're going to walk down the aisle. We're going to find some dude that I haven't seen in forever, and we're going to say, hey, man, tell me your favorite Bible verse and what page it's on, because, you know, church is all about making you feel funky, right? Yeah. Well, welcome to Sugar Hill Church, where we don't think church should be funky. Uh, I don't know about you. I grew up in a little bitty Baptist church, and there were so many rules. I mean, like, you know, when I was a kid, like, yeah, I was born in 1959, right? So the 60s, I had some hair going, man. I mean, I had some serious hair. And I will never forget a Sunday night church service where the, the guys in charge, like the big shots in church, were voting on whether dudes who had hair on their collar could come to church or not. Have you never seen pictures of Jesus? I mean, come on. I mean, it wasn't a mullet or anything. Come on. Yeah, and then, you know, my favorite one is you can't talk in church. You remember that? I remember every Easter, mom wanted to buy me a pair of white hush puppy shoes. Dude, if you're a kid in the mid-60s, you do not want to be walking with white hush puppy shoes. That is so uncool, right? But mom always thought this is what you do. You get a new outfit, and then it's spring, and everything starts again. And she was so excited about all that stuff. And then I would sit in church with her. And my pastor, when I was little... He was one of those guys that he finished every sentence with a, a kind of a ha, you know what I'm talking about? So, so like he, would, he would be saying, and Jesus came and he rose from the dead, ha! You know, and every time he went ha, I thought, what is that about? Why is he hawing all the time? Is he clearing his throat or what is the deal? You know, so, so when I became a preacher, I tried my best to be like a preacher. I mean, I tried to be like those guys. And so I would like alliterate all the first letters you know, like we're, we have fast food, fellowship, and fun kind of thing, you know? And so I tried to alliterate. And then I realized this brain doesn't work that way. I, I, don't, like I don't go to Wendy's and say I want to double because it's delicious and then it's delightful when I have it and it's dinner. I don't do that. Like you never do that. So I thought, why would we do that church? So I got over that phase. Then the next phase was uh, you know, some preachers that I really admired. They shout at you. You know that guy? I mean, like really, it's like pick a verse and holler. You know, and it's like the whole hour he, he's telling me how totally screwed up my life is. You know, and so when you leave, it's like I just took a bath in some type of scalding acid that reminded me of how awful a human being I am. And so there was the guy that wanted to guilt you in it. Then there was always the evangelist dude that came for like a week-long revival service. You ever been to one of those? Because when you go to those, man, no matter what you did all day long, you, you were definitely going to get pinched if you didn't straighten up that night, you know? And then there was always some dude in the invitation that would be like wailing, crying. You know what I'm talking about? This is the guy that got saved at every revival. 
you know? And then like three days later, he was dealing weed again. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then the, the dude would show back up to do revival again. And, it was, oh, oh, and everybody's like, oh, he's coming. Wait for it. Here it comes. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so when, when, when we started doing Sugar Hill Church, one of the first things we talked about was, could we just not make it weird? Could we just make churches not weird? Because uh, you got to admit, if you hang out with a lot of church people, you got to admit, we're weird. I mean, we talk a language nobody else does, right? How many other people, when you walk in your office, goes, it's such a wonderful day to love Jesus? Really, when you walk in your office tomorrow, how many times are you going to hear that, right? See, we don't live in that real world. But I believe when you come to church, you ought to be able to sit down and say, oh, this feels good. You ought to leave here encouraged, thinking, man, I, could, I can do church like that. And then you ought to leave with enough encouragement that the resurrection that we celebrate today makes a difference Monday through Saturday. That's why at this church we say we believe the Bible's a very big deal. Uh, we believe from Genesis to maps, there's a reason for it to be there. And it, whether you use it on your phone or on a tablet or on a laptop or in, a, in like a, a Bible Bible, if you don't know any of it, it's still the biggest deal. It's, it's such a big deal. It's, it's God saying to us, if you can do this, just think how much easier your life will be. So I remember as a kid, there's a Bible verse that says this. If you love me, you will keep my commands. All right, now this is Jesus saying to people, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, as a kid, what I heard was, I heard the, the barker and the ha guy, I heard them saying, Chuck, you are such a screw-up that if you don't obey my commandments, God's going to like grab you by the, the lobe of your ear and he's going to drag you out of church and beat the dog out of you. That's what I heard. Some of you heard the same thing. Some of you grew up in like a, a Catholic church where guilt is like, you know, it's, it's like it's on sale and it's your job. You know, it's like, okay, I need to make you so guilty. Or in my case, you're just so awful, you know? And, and then as an adult, I had the opportunity to learn and study and recognize this is not how Jesus said that. Jesus said the same words, but it's different. Have you ever been around a couple that are like, both type A, high D kind of personalities. And so like they're trying to decide where to eat dinner. And it sounds like, I don't know, like a battle royal. You ever, like, you know, somebody's coming off the top rope, you know, with the cannon and they're going to knock them out because we want to go to Chili's, not to Ted's. You know what I'm saying? I, I know couples in this church and their temperaments are so much alike and they're both driven people. So when they're talking about where, where should you go eat, it sounds like this, steak, fish. You know what I mean? And then there are other people. You got a totally different kind of temperament. It's like, where would you like to eat? Well, I'll do whatever you want. <laughs> Can we not get in the middle somewhere? Like, where would you like to eat? You know what I prefer is. Or like in my case, I'll ask Jenny. I'll say, well, Jen, would you like, would you like to go to, to Chili's? And she has a pat answer. You know what it is? Sure. Like, sure. So you know, early on in our marriage, I had to stop and say, which sure is that? Is it like, sure? <laughs> or is it like, Sure. Right? Because you can say the same thing, like, hey, let's go. Or it could be, hey, let's go. Are you with me? Yeah. So I've just thought, you know, how cool would it be if you could have a church that was more like, hey, let's go, than hey, let's go. Are you with me? Doesn't that make great sense? Yeah. So how many of you are like Atlanta Braves fans? Can I see your hands? Atlanta Braves fans. Okay. How many of you stopped listening to me? You want me to ask the question again? Yeah, okay, so, so we got a lot of Braves fans. Any Falcon fans in the house? Falcon fans. Yeah, yeah, okay, good. Yeah, you're getting a little, little boisterous there. Don't know why. And um, 
Oh, we got any bulldog fans in the house? Got any dogs in the house? Yeah, yeah. I know. Bark ahead. This is good. No rules at church. Bark away. All right. Uh, are, I know there's probably one or two. Are there any tech fans in the room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lord be with these sweet people. So we are, like, when you live in Atlanta, you have learned how to be a Fairweather fan, haven't you? I mean, seriously, haven't you learned that we get so excited that baseball season is back, and before July 4, we know it's over, right? I mean, we just know it's over. But let's face it, when they were winning pennants, man, we were all down there banging on the tomahawk and painting tomahawks on our cheek, and we were all about it, man. We were like our own little Chief Nakahoma thing going on, right? But now when they start losing like that, it's like, no, they're not my team. Mm -mm, I'm a a Yankees fan. I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm a Red Sox fan. We kind of bail out on them. And then there's the Falcons. Like, you win five straight, and it's like, this is the greatest thing ever, going to Super Bowl. And so, <laughs> we're used to it, aren't we? Yeah. And then, like, like dog fans. Like, I, I, I am a big dog fan. Like, I, I'm totally, uh, when they lose, it's just not cool at my house. You know, I even preach bad on Sunday after they lose. It's just so bad, you know. And, um, and, and the problem is, though, every year we think we're going to win the national championship. Every year. I mean, if you're a dog fan, you really do. You don't say it out loud anymore, but, but we used to say this is our year, right? And then if you're like a tech fan, you've never actually said that because you knew it wasn't true, but, <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay. I mean, Jesus did say the last will be first. And I, you know, I, I got it, all right? But you know what I found in this life is that we treat Jesus the same way we do with our sports teams. Like Jesus is going into Jerusalem a week ago for Palm Sunday and people are waving palm fronds and they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they see the king coming into the town to claim his new kingdom. And so the Jewish people are like, this is, this is unbelievable. He's going to bring an army and they're going to have advanced weaponry and we're going to take the Romans out and then I'm going to be in the inner circle because I'm in Jerusalem and this is going to be so awesome. We're going to get rid of all these people who oppress us and he's going to take over. And then Jesus says to his disciples, okay, we're going to Jerusalem, guys. It's time. It's the Passover. It's time. And he says, go find me a donkey colt. All right, now just stop and think about that. If you're a king coming in to take your kingdom, do you not want to be on the biggest, baddest horse in the town? Do you not want to have like a, a breastplate and a helmet and a spear? Do you want like, like little guys around you that look up at you in admiration? You want a big old honking stallion, don't you? I mean, you might even want a Clydesdale, like borrow one from Budweiser and just like, I'm, here we go, right? And then, and then Jesus kind of burst the first bubble. Go get a donkey. So can you imagine like if I'm Peter, James, or John, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to find the biggest, baddest donkey I can, right? I'm, I'm going to get the mother of all donkeys, right? And so I go get the big donkey. Can you imagine the Lord saying, no, 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 uh-uh. no, no, this, we don't need anything big. We, just, we need a little colt. We, we just need a little donkey. You remember when you were a kid, you go to the fair and you ride the little donkey around in a circle? Remember that? How would you like to have been the donkey? <laughs> Jesus says, go get the little donkey. So when Jesus gets on the little donkey, like when you were a kid, you felt like you were 10 feet in the air. But, but if you're 30-something and you got on a donkey, I mean, you might be picking your feet up, Right? And Jesus rides in, and it's, it's one of those times where immediately folks had to be thinking, this is not the kingdom I imagined. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. And then 
Then all of a sudden the palm fronds were done and the shouts of Hosanna had come and gone and the people started seeing, wait a minute, we might be losing. Wait a minute, we've dropped three or four in a row. And all of a sudden in the time between Palm Sunday and the crucifixion, everything changes and everybody's looking in another way and everybody knows this is not what I thought it was going to be. And Jesus is preaching on about the kingdom of God and he's saying to people, the kingdom of God is different than you imagine. This is when we usher in love and this is when we talk about forgiveness and this is when somebody has a need you meet it. And this, if somebody asks for your shirt, you give them your jacket. Somebody asks you to carry a pack for a mile, carry it too. And Jesus is unloading all these things about love and forgiveness and grace and kindness. And he's unpacking all these things. And the people are growing more and more restless because what I want is a king. I want, I want to vote for the right guy because if I vote for the right guy, then I get that kingdom and I get to have it my way. Sound familiar? It sounds just like having a primary or a caucus. We're still wanting a king. But Jesus said, this this, this is not what I'm talking about, guys. And then the crucifixion comes. We have swung the pendulum in less than a week from hail to the king to give us Barabbas and beat him beyond human recognition so that he might die on an old wooden cross between two thieves. And the world is wrong-sided. And Jesus says, I've come to turn it right side up. You see, throughout the Bible, one of the reasons we think this is a big deal is that God makes some incredible promises to us. Now, to, to grasp these, if, if church hadn't been your thing and the Bible hadn't been your deal and, and God, Jesus, the whole connection there, you just can't make that connection. I've never met anybody that would reject Jesus. But I have met plenty of people that reject us that call ourselves followers of Jesus. And God gave us some direction in his promises that ought to keep us from building rules that aren't for us. And he promised us that we would have victory in our lives. We just have a tendency to totally mess it up because we want to make it our way. Take a look at some of the promises with me. In the Old Testament, there's this dude by the name of Jeremiah. And in the 29th chapter of his writings, in verse 11, he says that God has a plan for your life. The Lord has said to him, I have a plan for your life. I have plans for you to succeed wildly. I have plans for you. Scripture says that God knew you before you were formed in your mom and that he has a plan for you to succeed wildly. I think that's pretty good news. Because there are seasons in my life I just really want to sit back and say, God, I'm so grateful you have a plan because I haven't figured mine out yet. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're on that quest to figure out what am I here for? And God says, if you'll seek me, you'll find that. Here's a few others. He's promised to supply every need that we have. Now, needs are basically based on the eye of the beholder, aren't they? Like our daughters are pretty sure that an iPhone with unlimited data is a need. Because how could you live without Snapchat and Instagram? Because if you, if you didn't post it, it didn't really happen, right? I mean, you could say, I went to the game, but if you don't post it on some social media, you lied. You didn't go to the game. If you, you would have done this. But there's a difference. God, God doesn't commit himself to meet every want. He commits himself to meet every need. He says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Notice, God didn't obligate himself past need, but he said, you'll never be without. It's a pretty big promise, especially, I don't know about you, but there are seasons in my life I'm pretty needy. 
Aren't you? I mean, there's times I just need to know, okay, you're going to meet every need. Listen to a few other things. Second Peter, a book over in the New Testament, says that because of God's glory, he gives us promises. Now, think about this. Have you ever made a promise and broken it? Well, sure you have. Like, I, I remember when uh, our daughter Amelia was playing soccer, and I was, I'd been on the, the, the West Coast, and I was catching a red-eye back, and I promised her I'm going to be at your soccer game. And so I remember getting on the plane. Everything's good. We're going to leave on time. I've sat down. I'm getting ready to snore for everybody's blessing on the way home. And then the pilot comes on and says, we have mechanical failure. Okay, that's not good. So we get off the plane. Well, then they bring another plane. And so, you know, when you bring another plane, then you have to wait on another flight crew. So bottom line is I didn't land in Atlanta until about 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. And that's about the time the game was over. And I'll never forget, Amelia said, but daddy, you promised. I, I couldn't have done that. But, but I still, I broke a promise, right? I mean, I didn't mean to. My motivation was pure, but, but I broke a promise. What God is saying in this text in 2 Peter to you and to me is this. I make a promise to make you a promise because I'll never let go of my promise. All right, let me say that again. God makes a promise that he's going to give you promise, and he's never going to let that promise go. This is like doubling down on the promise. I guarantee that I guarantee this is going to happen. Well, Scripture goes on and tells even more of a story because what, what we read is that in 2 Corinthians that God's grace is sufficient for me and you. Now, you might say, well, why do I need grace? Well, life's pretty good for me. Well, if we were to listen to what the Bible has to say, the Bible would say that all of us have messed our life up. All of us have made mistakes in our life. All of us have, have, have made bad decisions, done wrong things. And as a result, then we're kind of, we're separated from God, God in his perfection, God in his holiness, us and our, our, our unrighteousness and our, our filthy sin. And so God's like, okay, no. But he loves you so much, and you can't make him not love you. No matter where you were at last night or what you did last week, you can't make God not love you. God is for you. And that same God not only has plans for you, not only wants, wants to be able to help you and love you and guide you, this same God says to you, I'm going to give, give you, I'm going to issue you enough grace that is sufficient for you. Sufficient for what? To overcome every wrong thing I've ever done. And to be able to go into every day with fresh grace. Now, here's what grace does. Are you ready? Grace is only grace when grace is unexpected. All right? So, let's take a look. So, let's say, uh, let's say to this afternoon, we both wind up uh, eating down the road at, at like, I don't know, Sugar Hill Diner. All right? And then uh, you see me and my family sitting there. You've kind of determined, okay, they, uh, they haven't ordered anything big, so it'd be a good day to buy the, church, the, the, the preacher lunch today. So you, so you slide the credit card there, and, uh, and then the, our server comes by, and she says, you know, that sweet family bought your lunch today. You know what that is? They extended grace. I want, I want to do this for you. you can't, I, I couldn't buy them to say, hey, I want to give you 50 if we'll buy my, my dinner. I, I couldn't say, you know what, I tell you what, I, I'm, I'm going to wear my hair a certain way, or I'm going to go on a certain number of mission trips when I do, then you should buy my dinner. It was simply a gift. God says, I'm going to give you enough grace, even though you didn't earn it, even though you don't deserve it. I'm going to give you enough grace that you can have forgiveness of all the things you've ever done bad. And, and God says, that's, that's how much I love you. That's how much I'm for you. I, I want to give this to you. But then in Matthew chapter 11, something else happens. Jesus makes this unbelievably bold statement. Jesus says, so if you're weary, if you're tired, if you're exhausted, if you're filled with anxiety, if, if you're days, or if you're just tired of being tired, Jesus says, come to me. And find rest in me. 
Now, this, this is a pretty cool picture because what Jesus is saying to you is, so in the middle of your work week, when everything's bad, when you've missed your second flight and your paycheck depends on it, when, when you have to go into that meeting that you're accountable for, but you're really dreading it, Jesus is saying to you, come to me, rest in me, find hope and peace, find contentment in me. And then he makes this ridiculous statement where he says, if you'll take my way, my way is light and my yoke is easy. Now, when we hear that, we think of oxen in, in a yoke, right? But what Jesus is saying to us is this, that the Pharisees in his time and the Sadducees at his time, these were the church leaders in the Jewish church in the first century. They had more than a thousand rules, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rules. And it was things like, okay, you can't make up your bed on Sunday because it's a Sabbath. And if you do, you could be stoned to death. Are you with me? I mean, it's like crazy stuff. Like they would say things like, you know, if you cut your backyard on Sunday afternoon, God's going to strike you dead. Are, are you with me? I mean, if, if you went last night and drank three too many beers, God's going to like zap you. This is the kind of rules they had for everything. Matter of fact, they had rules about how you wash your hands. They had rules about how, about how you take a bath. They had rules about the things you could touch or not touch or eat or not eat. Can you imagine and then this, this one guy who's like in charge of all the very big deal church people, he sees Jesus and he thinks, okay, I got him on this one. And he says, so what are the most important commandments? What do you say, rabbi? Now, Jesus blows his mind. I mean, he looks at this dude and he says, well, and he says, there's only two. And this dude, now you can imagine, man, this is a guy who his entire life is built around busting you when you don't follow the rules. Can you imagine I mean, it would be like having somebody walking around behind you, and every time you did or thought something goofy, they flicked you on the ear. You know what I mean? Can you imagine? Like, I, the guy that went, ha, that's kind of how I felt. It, it was like, okay, oh, Chuck, zam, you know, gotcha, boom, you know, zap it, got it. So Jesus looks at him and says two things. If you love God with all your heart, with your mind, with your soul, and then love other people the way you should love yourself, every other rule doesn't matter because those two are the biggest deal. And people were like, whoa, that's what he means when he says, come do it my way. You, you don't have to dress a certain way to go to church. You don't, you, you don't, you don't have to sing if you don't want to. You, and for those of you that are, that are sitting here thinking, well, you know, I, I, I meet my Lord in a deer stand. I meet the Lord when I'm fishing for stripers on Lake Lanier. I meet the Lord when I have an old sick headache on my back porch with a cup of coffee with Kahlua in it. You were listening, aren't you? Yeah, like the people in those back rows are like, what? What, did I miss the coffee? Yeah. You see, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if you could just walk with a Jesus who said, I have enough grace for you, I love you. I, I'm not about rules, I'm not here to bust you. I don't wanna find what's wrong with you, I'm for you. I love you, I gave my life for you. This entire day is about us going from being a fan to being a follower and being able to look and say, Jesus, thank you, you died for me gruesome, horrible death. You died for me. You rose for me because the resurrection is supposed to matter in our life on Wednesday at 3 p.m. God goes on and gives us more. He promises that all things are going to work for those who serve him faithfully for the good. Romans 8, 28 says God's working all things out for your good. Everything he's doing, he's working out for your good. Your only job is then I want to live for God. I want to be obedient. But remember what Jesus said? Did you hear it when you were a kid? If you don't obey me, 
but that's not what he said. Jesus said, well, if you love me, it'll be so much easier to follow these two things. If, if you'll just rest in me, if you'll trust me, if you, you'll ask me for forgiveness of your sin, if you'll just do what I've asked you to do, then watch this, then you will find it easy to love God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and to love other people the way you ought to love yourself. And Jesus says, that's why it's light. That's why it's easy. Now, in Romans 6.23, the Bible takes a bit of a sharp turn. It says to us that we deserve to be separated from God. It says, so all of us have done what the Bible calls sin. Isn't that a heavy word? I mean, like in, in, in 2016, is, is that not a heavy word? Like, do you ever hear people like at, at a restaurant say, please don't serve me, I'm unworthy, I'm a sinner? You don't hear that, do you? But we save that word for this special import that it has that sense on us that it's supposed to, which is, I know I have done sinful things. I know I have thought sinful things. And then God comes along and he says in John chapter 10, verse 27, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. God is saying, nobody can take you away. I've got you. He even says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you will say before men that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior like those two young boys did, Jesus says, and I'm going, I'm going to announce you before God so that when you show up in heaven, it's like, come on in. We, we've got your house ready for you. By the way, you remember her? Yeah, she, I didn't know she'd be here. Yeah. And then he has this one big statement, heart, soul, mind, love others. And he puts all that together and says, this is how much he loves you. He made it simple for you. It's, it's not about beads you count. It's not about how many sorries you can say. It's not about whether you dress up to come to church. And quite frankly, it's not about whether you come to church. Here's the great news about all these promises and so many more. Paul writes to the, to the church in Corinth, this letter called 2 Corinthians. And in chapter 1, in verse 20, it says this, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Now, that tells us two things about here. Okay, so like when, when something good happens to you, like you're, you're watching your, your team and your team scores, what do you do? Yes, right? I mean, come, do it with me. You're just, uh, go ahead. Some of you are thinking you can't do it in church or you're just too cool to do it. Just, it feels good. Go ahead, you ready? One, two, three. Yes. Anybody want to do it by themselves? Yeah, see, there's always about 10 in a room like this. Yeah, there are probably kids that are going to grow up and be a preacher someday. <laughs> Listen to it in a different way. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus with a resounding, yes, I can do this. In him, I can do this. In him, I can, I can find hope. In him, I can do these things. In him, I can be obedient to Christ. In him, I can avoid that temptation. In him, I have hope for tomorrow. In him, I have strength for today. Yes. And then listen to the rest of it. And through Christ, our amen ascends to God for his glory. What in the world is that all about? Okay. I would say that some of you in this room pray regularly. Many of you pray often, and some of you haven't prayed in forever. But we all know when you hit the red button to end the prayer, what do you say? What? Amen, right? Because isn't that how you end the call? I mean, I, I'll never forget. I was, uh, when, when I first became a, a, a pastor, 
Like I got a lot of advice from a lot of people. And one of them, a lady in this church, stopped me in the hallway because I had ended a prayer at the end of a service and I said, amen. And, and, and she scolded me pretty good. She said, you can't just say amen. You have to say in Jesus' name, amen. I was like, wow, how about that? I mean, who knew? You know, it's like, did God not listen to the first sentence because I didn't throw that on the end? Or what? And then I realized, wait a minute, she's full of hooey. No. You know what our amen says? You see, after Jesus has said, God, all your promises, I'm going to deliver because I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to do exactly like you said I would. I'm going to raise on the third day, and I'm going to overcome death and temptation and sin and fear, and I'm going to roll that rock away, and I'm going to walk out, and I'm going to hang out with the boys. We're going to eat and hang around, and there for a little while, man, hundreds of people are going to see me, and then I'm going to go sit next to God the Father in heaven, and I'm going to make a room for everybody who trusts him, and all that's going on, right? Every time you say amen, you know what you're saying? Yes. Every time you say amen, you know what you're saying? Jesus, I count on you to deliver every promise of God. Everything I just prayed, I trust you with it more than I trust me. Yes. So what happens in our life is if this, is, if this jars our life, I don't know about you, but it seems like life just fills it full of junk. I mean, it's just everywhere I turn around, it's like the washing machine broke and I didn't budget for that. My kid has to go sell those silly subscriptions for, for magazines and I'm gonna buy 40 of them for my dentist's office because I don't wanna sell them with my friends. And my, by the way, my husband's having an affair and, and then my kid got busted for smoking weed at school and, and in the middle of all this, can you believe this? My car needs a new transmission and it's like life says, yeah, I'm just gonna keep pouring it on. And, I mean, it, when it rains, it pours. And you got all kind of big problems, little problems. You got problems running out of our ears. And we just keep having life pour problems into our life. And then the Lord says, okay, but you're, you're going to grow so much in these. And it just starts piling up and they run off. And you're like, my whole life is just filled with junk. My whole life is just, it's just, it's just a mess. What the resurrection does for us when we say, Jesus, I, I want to thank you for dying for me, for raising from the dead for me. I want to thank you for the grace you extended to me. I get to start over. So maybe this is your life pressed down and just filled with junk. Now, the TV preacher would say to you, when you get a new life, nothing's going bad in there. He's a liar. Because you see, Jesus never promised that. You see, Jesus didn't come to keep you out of trouble. And if you've known Jesus for a while, you know what you're thinking right now? Duh. <laughs> Jesus said, all right, I'm, my father and I have given you these promises here. And, and, and if you'll let your life be emptied enough of you, if you'll let your life be emptied enough of just your own selfishness and everything you think you want, and you'll just trust God for everything else, if, if you'll empty yourself of all of your selfishness and your sinful ways and just say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me and clean me up, you start with a new jar. And then when you have that new jar, you get to start with the promises of God. And the promises of God are the fact that he made promises that he would make promises that he would keep those promises. But guess what? Life still comes at you pretty good, doesn't it? 
washer still breaks down. My kid's still messed up. My husband's leaving. My wife, she, she's got cancer. And my, my parents, I'm having to take care of my aging parents. And it's the hardest work in the world. And, and life just keeps on. And next thing you know, I'm addicted to painkillers because my knee won't stop hurting. I'm getting old. On top of that, my boss, even though he gave me a great review, he, he fired me. I've been with the same company for 20 years. Now to make things worse, oh my stars, in the middle of all of this, my 401k is dwindled down to nothing. I'm going to have to work at Walmart the rest of my life. And before you know it, all of these things are pressed down. But have you noticed... Wait a minute. This one's just full of life's junk. This one's got junk, but it's sitting on the foundation of Jesus who said, I'm going to extend grace enough for you today, mercy enough for you tomorrow. And if you will put me in your life first, all this other stuff, not only will you be able to handle, but you'll grow sharper and brighter through it all. Maybe this is your life. And today, the resurrection means this could be your life. It still has problems. It still has junk. But guess what's in there taking care of it? Guess what's in there giving you peace? Guess what's in there saying you can do this? Guess who's in there in your corner saying, come on, you can do it. I am with you. I'm for you. The presence and the promise of God is in your life and says that's it. The story of the resurrection isn't about Romans and Jews. The story of the resurrection is about a new life filled with Christ because he beat death and sin for you. So today, maybe it's your day to say, I, I need to start fresh. I need a new jar. I need to start fresh. I, I need God in my life. I need this risen Jesus in my life. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Listen to me, friend. You may be here today and you're saying, Chuck, that's, that's what I need. I need a new start. I, I, need, I, I need fresh life. I need fresh wind in my sails. I, I need to have the ability to start over, and I need to put those promises of God. I need to put those promises of God in my life. I need them to be bedrock for my life. The Bible makes it so simple for us. It's not complicated. You know what he says? Call on the name of the Lord. He'll hear you and answer you. You say, well, Chuck, I, I haven't done church in a long time. I don't know what the call on the Lord thing is. Well, it sounds a lot like this. Jesus, I need you. I know I've made some mistakes, maybe a lot of mistakes. Thank you for dying for me. Pay the punishment I deserve. Thank you, for, thank you for raising from the dead like you promised you would. Thank you for giving me a, a new life. I want to put you in my life. I want to live for you. If that's the desire of your heart today. Listen, that's all you got to do. You got to just, Jesus, I'm, I'm in. That's me. So I encourage you today, let this resurrection day be your resurrection day. Father, thank you. Easter is more than bunnies and eggs and it's more than new outfits and ham for lunch. It is extremely and extraordinarily personal because you died for us. You gave your life for us and you rose for us that we might have life in abundance, not rules, not laws, 
that we could have you. So today I pray many would say, Jesus, I want to wear your, I want to wear your shirt. I want to wear your jersey. I want to wear your hat. I want to cheer for you. I want to live for you. When your season went bad, Lord, you came back like nothing ever before and rose from the dead and you broke every rule. I want to be on your team. Father, thank you for every man and woman in this room that said, that's me, I want in. And like you did with the thief on the cross on Good Friday, you said, come on to paradise with me. And I pray many would follow you there in the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord. Amen, amen, and amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.